At Parker, our purpose is simple. We want to make the world a better place. By working more efficiently. By using more sustainable practices. By developing better technologies. We keep moving forward. With each new idea, innovation, and partnership, we're one step closer to fulfilling our purpose every single day. To find out more, visit parker.com slash purpose. Parker, engineering your success. Doing that, I was face to face with it. It was holding me by my throat. And it felt like it was sucking something out of me. I probably should have been more scared than I was when I witnessed the exorcism. I turned and looked on my right side. When I did, there's there's a beam on the side of the tree, a large beam. It's looking at me and I'm looking at it. After I hit the lock button and looked back up, I saw red eyes staring back at me. That they're going to show multiple gods all over the earth, be able to speak in people's languages, and at that point, it kind of converge into this one entity, which will be revealed as extraterrestrial. You'll realize that aliens are the gods of old. And at that point, it'll wipe religion out of the context of humanity. No, it couldn't have been a person. I know that. I know that people can't run through the woods like that. So this thing comes into view, and I see it. It's 50 yards away from me. It's walking. It's walking on two legs. It's huge. This is a big, hairy-looking being. Welcome. I'm your host. And this is Uncomfortable. back to the show, my friends. I am your host, Eric Salagi. If you've had an uncomfortable experience and you'd like to have it featured on the show, please get a hold of me at contact.uncomfortable at gmail.com. Make sure to follow us on Facebook and Instagram, both at uncomfortablepodcast65. Most importantly, please share the show with others and make sure to leave us a five-star rating and review where you can. That's the main way you can help in getting the show out in front of more people. I want to announce the Uncomfortable Patreon is live. If you've been interested in helping support the show and receive extra content in the process, that Patreon may be right for you. It is the home to all Uncomfortable episodes ad-free for every membership level. And it is the only place that you can find the video series A Little Uncomfortable in the series Uncomfortable Afterthoughts in the mid and top tier member levels. Please go to patreon.com forward slash uncomfortable podcast 770 and see if any of the content levels interest you there. I want to take a minute here to make good on a promise and give a huge shout out to our new Patreon members, Emily H., Benjamin Schuler, The Amazing Rando, Caroline, JJ Rose 777, Andrew Utrecht, Joanna Lasky, 
Erica Plant, Troy Bursch, and Crystal Simmons. Thank you so much for the support. You have no idea how much it is appreciated and how valued you are in this community. Again, my heartfelt thanks. You can also support at redcircle.com forward slash uncomfortable forward slash donations, which I didn't even know about until my Discord member UFO Granny was kind enough to take advantage of with a lovely donation to the show. The link for Patreon, Red Circle, and Discord will all be in the show notes below. As far as tonight's show, I'm not going to give you much of a heads up on who we're having on tonight, but I am going to tell you that throughout the course of my regular editing, I came across some things that initially I was going to cut out in the edit, but I've decided to leave it in. Uh, My guest tonight, both he and I at about the same point during the conversation, started to have some technical issues, both of us with our cameras, and then again on his vocal track with some unusual electronic interference. This kind of gave me pause and made me think uh, it's somewhat similar to things I've had happen in the past. Um, So I started to pay more attention in the editing. And what I found was that I believe we've captured a couple of EVPs coming through on his vocal track. I've decided to leave those sections in so you can hear it as it happened. Uh, I'm very interested in what you think. Is it an EVP? If so, what are you hearing? I'm finding two of them. I'd love to hear your comments. Even if it's a tell me I'm way off. I don't care. I want to know what you guys think. I'm not above being wrong. I just found this to be odd. And honestly, before we release this episode, I've I sent the the capture to our guests and to several other people who are experienced in dealing with EVPs and all of them have said that it is definitely something otherworldly. I'll be interested to see what you have to say. So, if you're ready, let's get into it. folks well this is it i am really excited to bring tonight's guest to you um he has been on my radar for i want to say about eight months maybe nine months um heard the name several times uh it took me a while before i got around to listening to it um and and fortunately i reached out uh i think uh introduction by a friend of ours uh uh, Justin England from the Cryptids of the Corn facilitated the introduction. Um, but I reached out to him, and, and he was completely uh, without hesitation as far as deciding he wanted to do this with me. So my guest tonight, 
ladies and gentlemen, is Bo Kennedy from the Bump Podcast. Bo, welcome to Uncomfortable. Hey, thanks, brother. I, I appreciate the invitation. Uh, thanks for having me on. And since we are sharing this on both worlds, um, my guest tonight is none other than Eric Salaji from the Uncomfortable Podcast. Uh, and like you said, Justin from Cryptos of the Corn, he did a little middleman work for us and uh, put us in contact with each other. And I'm glad he did, man, because I've, I've become a fan of your show. Oh, thank you, sir. I appreciate that. And I am a, a fan of yours as well. Um, I like I like the format. I like your, um, I think, you know, we, we talked about this some uh, just before we hit record. And uh, the the interesting thing for me is, um, you know, you're, you're really out there as far as your faith. Um, yeah. you know, talking about it and, and having it be a part of your, um, your bias when you, when you are interviewing, um, I, on the other hand, and I've been criticized for this, um, I tend to keep my, my faith out of it because I look at it as one, I guess it even stems back further than that. Cause like when I first started doing the show, um, I didn't even put my name in the intro. It was just, I'm your host. And that's all I really wanted it to be. I wanted to facilitate the conversation, um, yeah. but it wasn't going to be about me. Um, then I had some people start telling me, you really got to start putting your name. You got to associate your name with this, you know? So begrudgingly, I started doing that. Um, but, you know, from my standpoint, uh, like I was telling you earlier, I, I tend to try to not let my faith or my beliefs <clears throat> dictate how, how I interview somebody because I don't want them to feel that I've got a preconceived idea of, of what they're going to be talking about. Um, you know, and I, I, I really like that difference, you know, with the way you do it uh, versus the way I do it. I've been accused in one of my, <laughs> in one of my uh, um, reviews on Apple podcast, um, I was accused of literally hating Christians. And <laughs> I'm like, first of all, I don't know what episode that would have been that you would have been listening to. Uh, but they said it, it comes out uh, in, in any of the other shows that I'm on, you know, as a guest. Um, and, and I just, I, I really, I can't, I am the most open-minded and uh, <laughs> non-judgmental persons uh that you're gonna run into and i just i can't help but the that thing is really it's it's stuck in my craw and this is the second time now that i've talked about it in an in a interview and it's like i really i i, I want to say you weren't listening to me you know right. you, you, I, I cannot imagine what episode that would have been because right. i've had a number of of Christians and a number of, you know, people, just spiritualists, uh, you know, people who are spiritual, um, non-defined, I guess. Um, it, it's amazing to me how people can, uh, be so judgmental and, and not really like we talked about earlier, have an open mind and use critical thinking when you're hearing what people are saying, you know, maybe it was, yeah. uh, maybe it was in the context of me playing the devil's advocate, I don't, maybe you shouldn't do that, but you know, the, you know, it, it's, it's, it's a strange thing for me. You know, I, I can appreciate that. And 
on my very first episode, when I did my little intro, which I recorded through my phone while I held it up to my head, you know, because I, I just couldn't wait anymore to start a podcast. I, you know, I screamed into the phone almost, I'm a Christian, but I was just nervous, you know. <laughs> but I, I kind of left, I, I, I held back that aspect um, for a while, you know, probably a year and a half of doing the show. I mean, I, did, I never held back from talking about God or talking about miracles and stuff like that. It's just, I was trying to fill it out. And my my views on things, um, because I, yes, I, I am a follower of Christ, but I also grew up believing in aliens. Um, I grew up knowing that Bigfoot has to be real. I grew up knowing that there are, there are spirits out here, um, or, you know, my house wouldn't have been haunted, <laughs> you know what I mean? Uh, otherwise. So that, there's a, there's like, there's your faith. And do you want to put the rest of the world in a little tiny box or do you want to be open? And, you know, as far as being criticized by Christians, I had a guy one star me on the reviews, which is like the coldest thing you can do to a, to a podcaster. But he, he put in the comment section, and this has been like two and a half years ago or two years ago, that I wouldn't know. Uh, the closest thing I've, that I am to a Christian is when I drive past a church. Wow. That's what he said. This might have yeah. been the same guy. <laughs> so <laughs> I'm like, man, that's that's pretty good. But uh, I don't know. But I also... I'll get people that are like, I'm so open-minded, you know, I'm just this, I'm an open spiritual person. And then within five minutes, like they're open to anything but Christianity. And they, you know, they, they bring that out and then they make jokes about, you know, about Christ and stuff. And I'm like, okay, I feel like I'm getting provoked intentionally at yeah, that point, yeah, yeah. you know, cause I won't step on anybody else's feet. You know, I'm, I'm not going to, you know, I don't care what your faith is as far as our conversations, you know, I've had Reiki masters on the show. I've had, uh, atheists on the show. I've, it, it, it don't matter. I just want to have a conversation. I yeah. want to hear about your experience, you know? Exactly. Yeah. I mean, one of my early episodes, I don't know if it was six or seven. Um, I literally talked to a, a reverend in the church of Satan from uh, <laughs> Fort Wayne, Indiana, uh, and, and talk about, you know, what could be more uncomfortable than uh, a guy that was born and raised in the Catholic Church talking to <laughs> talking to a reverend in the, the Church of Satan? Um, right. You know, but that being said, it was an extremely good conversation, and it was enlightening. It opened my eyes to some things. Didn't change my belief. Right. Didn't didn't change how I felt about satanic worship. Um, right. I don't know that I necessarily believed everything he said, because if anything is true about Satan being the deceiver, uh, why would he tell me the truth? You know, so, but it was a very interesting conversation and, uh, you know, it made me slightly uncomfortable, uh, you know, which was, was a great fit for the show. Um, it's a healthy thing too. I mean, you don't only want to talk to people who agree with you. Absolutely. You, you know, what do you learn if, if it's everybody that's already in your circle, Absolutely. No, nobody's getting fed. There's no growth. So, 
yeah, man, I'd, I'd be open to anybody who wants to come on the show. And that's one of the things it's like, I've told other people, it's like, you know, how do you, how do you have a conversation with, you know, they've, they've got a preconceived idea that a guest that I had on, um, was completely, um, nuts. You know, their story was fabricated or, or they had mental issues or, you know, whatever. And it's like, how do you sit there and have a serious conversation with them? And, you know, again, it's a judgment, judgment free zone. Um, but hearing their story, being able to look at something through their perspective and how it affected them doesn't necessarily change my belief, doesn't change uh, necessarily change anything about how I perceive things, but it does allow me to see things through their perspective. And, you know, the next interview that comes around or the next person that I meet on the street or the next, uh, you know, person I meet at a conference and, and they have a story, it gives me an extra, it gives me an extra perspective to kind of step out of myself and see it through another, another filter. And I, th I think that's just been like one of the most positive aspects of, of doing what we do. Yep. I, I agree with you, man. It, it's helped me. I've come a long way as far as um, my opinions and my outlooks and my views. I have been very malleable over the last three years. And I've, I've taken the beating that, that would, <laughs> that it would take to, to change my shape on things. Um, where I was at when I come into this, as opposed to where I'm at now, I feel like, my faith is about the only thing that hasn't changed. Um, you know, my, my view of what these, these things are that, you know, we talk about on my show, you know, bump stands for believers of the unexplained monsters and paranormal. Uh, most people think it's just bump in the night, but it's an acronym that I've used since I was in the air force. You that's, know, that's I what I assumed hunting. it was. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I, I had a little ghost hunting team uh, that we would, Honestly, we would just get drunk and go riding around and look at spooky stuff. But we, uh, so anything that comes on my show is going to be unexplained monsters or, or paranormal activity. And my view of what, you know, the unexplained is, you know, the, what aliens are has changed over the years. My view on Bigfoot has changed over the years. And it's due to talking to people that are outside of uh, my, my usual train of thought. You know, I, I love doing this show. I love everything about it. It's, it's very, it's a very gratifying thing. It is. Um, have you noticed, and, and the reason I ask this is because I have, have you noticed since you, since you started doing this show and you've come into contact with, <clears throat> now, I understand that, you know, you did some ghost investigations before and, you know, you had interest in these things that, that led you to, to doing the show eventually anyway, um, as did I. But have you noticed kind of a an uptick or a, um, maybe that's not the right word. Do you recognize more weird 
now that you you talk about it so often? Uh, I recognize some things more. Um, the weird, it seems like there's been a lull for me lately on just good strangeness. Um, maybe it's because I'm so open that people that share the Christian faith are predominantly who's been contacting me lately. Um, but I think there is a whole lot of strange going on out there. Um, I think that, especially for America, um, I think our eye collectively is turning to, to actually look at things that have been going on for 75 or 80 years that um, I, I think I said uh, it's, it's been going on, but I think the, the weird is starting to get more attention now. I, I don't know if it's, there's an uptick in it or if it's just people are starting to pay attention. I, I agree with you on that. And, and I guess maybe I didn't ask the question oh, I'm as, sorry. as well as I, I should have looking back on it. Now I, I'll reword it. Um, when you, when you look into the darkness, all right, and I'm not, I'm not specifically talking evil, but I'm talking when you look into the dark, the things that go bump in the night, right? do you notice or get the feeling that things are looking back at you now where, oh, yeah. where maybe it didn't before? Yep. Yeah. I think, uh, yeah. <laughs> yes. And things come to mind when you say that. I don't know if we should save it or if we go ahead and jump into things. But uh, yeah. And I do, I do feel like there are things that once you start poking around, you know, once you start, you know, digging in, mm -hmm. things take notice of your curiosity or of your intention. I would agree. And they respond. I would agree. It has yeah. become, it has become very obvious to me that, you know, and I guess I use this analogy before. It's like when you go outside and you you're in the complete dark, and it takes your eyes a little while to get acclimated to it, and then you can start seeing a little bit better. Um, I think you know, like <clears throat> the first part of that statement is where I was for a lot of years in my life. And now that, now that I've, I've delved into things much deeper, now when my eyes acclimate, I feel that I'm seeing things looking back at me. Oh, yeah. I've, I've oh, been yeah. fortunate that um, I don't really think I've had anything that has been acting on me, but I've been in the I've been in the peripheral of feeling that action. Right. I don't think anything is like directly coming after me or directly acting on me, but I do feel that, that presence. I do feel that that is around. And I wonder if it's, if it is because of my, my inquisitiveness about it, you know, is it, um, is it staying away from me because my intent and, and what I have in my heart is, um, is good and true 
And is it just kind of letting me know that it's there? I, I, I don't know. I mean, it's, uh, it's a strange, it's a strange thing to come to the realization when, when you start having things happen and don't get me wrong. I'm not saying that this stuff happens, you know, on a daily basis for me, but right. you know, there's, there's been some things that have been kind of profound and, oh, yeah. you know, I, obviously I had a belief in, in UFOs and I had a belief in, in Bigfoot from an early age. You know, when the first time I saw Patterson Giblin film, when I saw Patty walking across that Bluff Creek, um, there was, there was nothing about that that seemed fake to me. <laughs> right. It was completely organic. It moved, it flowed. Yeah. There was nothing to me that looked like a costume. You know, and I yeah. couldn't, I couldn't understand um, where people were coming from with the fact that it, you know, it was, and maybe it's just a, a firm disbelief in the, the possibility that it exists, that it, it can't exist. So it's got to be a costume. All um, right. Well, it's easier. Yeah. It's easier that way. Yeah. You know, you're not afraid of the woods uh, that way. But, you know, one thing that you're talking about how, you're on the periphery of, of these things. Uh, I, I feel like I am in their crosshairs a lot of, of these things that stare back. Um, and I, th I honestly, you know, going back to how we started this conversation about how open we are, or how reserved we are about our faith. I think that that may play a part in it, Eric, to be honest, you know, where I, I boldly go into it. Uh, I think it's, I'm not trying to provoke what's on the other side, but it's, they want me to shut up. You know, that's, I want, would like to see me shut up and where you have managed to, to keep that a little closer to the vest. You know, they got, you know, they got their dog out, but it's still on the leash. You know, they have, that's, they haven't. That's a very interesting way of looking at it. You know, I think it's what's going on here, man, because it is all the time in my world. And it wasn't like that. It wasn't like that three years ago yeah. when I started, this, you know, when I first started the show. It was, hey, let me come out here and talk about my faith and let me bring this person on and we're going to talk about, you know, unclean spirits. We're going to talk about spiritual warfare and demons. And then all of a sudden I'm starting getting EVPs on my recordings, um, calls drop. I had a glitch that looked like a 1990s TV hit on my screen. Like it went snowy. It had like green bars. Really? Like, yeah, it was really weird. And here I'm talking to somebody on zoom, you know, it's like weird stuff happens. And it's, it got to the point where I had to break out anointing oil and I anointed all of my equipment, prayed over everything. I pray over a lot of shows before we start, depending on the topic especially, and everything stopped. Now, I don't know I don't know why else it would stop unless, <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah. But I, I think that might be why they haven't necessarily fully noticed you yet. That's um, very interesting. That's a, what a great perspective. I've, I've not looked at it from that standpoint before. Yeah. 
So hopefully, you know, things keep on behaving for you because it sucks. I'll, I'll be honest, but you know, I, I do what would be pretty foolish things, you know, it would be almost the equivalent of walking into the ring with Mike Tyson with no experience in boxing. You know, sometimes you, you get thumped and don't know what, what you even did wrong. Right. Um, but man alive, it, it, it quickens you. It helps you learn real fast. Um, to protect yourself before you get into certain topics. Yeah, that, that is a, that's a great thing that you bring up because, um, you know, I've been, I've been coached to, um, not only, uh, not only pray about, you know, keeping the show safe, keeping the, the guests, keeping myself, uh, my equipment, you know, I mean, you know, as well as I do, this is not a, this is not a cheap endeavor. You know, no. if you want to, if you want to put a good show, um, there, there's a considerable expense to it. And, um, but I've also, um, I've also had, uh, a, a wonderful person in my corner, who has uh, taught me the um, the important the importance of uh, bubbling, uh, you know, from the standpoint of you know what a light worker would do, um, okay. and you know, I mean, essentially, it's the it's the same thing. Um, you're just instead of you know saying the prayer, you're kind of envisioning a uh, a protective realm around you, um, mm-hmm. you know, and, and the intent behind creating that and, you know, it keeps things out or at least keeps yeah. them at bay. Um, you know, the one, it, and it's funny because I do it on a regular basis, um, with most shows, you know, there's a few topics that, you know, I, I may be talking to an author or something and, uh, I don't really feel the need for it, but, um, there was one show not too long ago um, that I really did not, I, I had no expectation of, of what was going to be discussed. And uh, a woman brought up the fact that she had been um, basically abused by a incubus. Mm-hmm. And, you know, it, it was it was strange because she talked about it in a very matter of fact way. Um, you know, naturally I jumped to, well, wait a minute, wait a minute. <laughs> I mean, that, that's a pretty substantial thing. You know, it, did you end up having to talk to somebody about this? You know, did, I mean, what was the process of, of getting rid of this thing? And basically she moved. Um, but you know, that, that, that segment that we talked about, and then there were some other things that, you know, weren't even related to that. But after we had ended the recording, we continued to have a conversation and it was on like what we're doing here, um, on video. And I'm looking at my screen and out of the peripheral of my right eye, just behind my computer screens, I see a black head stick up mm-hmm. just very quickly. But I was like, 
I noticed it. And I looked back at the screen, and on the screen, in their video, I could see a shadow move across her very quickly. And then she says, wow, what just happened? Did your lights go out or something? Because when she was looking at me through her screen, she saw a flash of light at the same exact time that I saw that head pop up. Yeah. You know, and that was a, that was a creepy, I'm not going to lie, man, that, that one, it still gives me chills talking about it now. Oh yeah. No doubt. That was a, that was a creepy and, and to have it take place in two places simultaneously, you know, and then not even having to take her word for it. I saw the shadow move across her. And, and I did see like a flash of light in the screen, but I'll tell you this, when I go back to play it back, I still see the shadow in front of her, but I don't see the flash on me. Wow. So whatever it was, was happening on, on her end, as far as viewing me, that was, that was a very strange thing. And, and coincidentally, um, prior to that interview, I took no precautions because I thought we were going to be talking primarily about UFO stuff. Right. And after that, giddy up. Every every time. (laughs) Don't care what what we're talking about. Poodles, I'm bubbling. I'm saying it's a prayer. Yeah. Yeah, I had a guy on. I haven't even released the episode yet. Um, But I had a guy on the other day. And we were talking about, you know, how to, you know, protecting ourselves and how he started praying over his family all the time. And um, he hasn't had a problem in seven or eight years. You know, everything's been good. No problems. I said, well, man, I said, I'm not trying to be that guy. But when we hang up and when we get off this call, how about you just say a little prayer over your house again? I said, because things tend to happen. And he was like, yeah, yeah, man, that's no problem. And then with, it wasn't two minutes later, his computer just hard crashes, dead, gone. And he sends me an email later on, you know, once he got everything back online, he's like, I'm praying. <laughs> was, yeah. Isn't it, isn't it funny though? You know, like you talk about like some tech, tech difficulties, you know, um, yeah. your video season up, getting weird, uh, snowy, you know, stuff that looks like it's off a 1979 Curtis Mathis, uh, TV set that was a piece of furniture in your living room when you were a kid. Right. Um, you know, I've had a number of, um, technical difficulties and, you know, I use a roadcaster and there is a, there's a touch screen on that unit. And back during the time when I was uh, um, having having conversations with Joel Thomas, um, the screen on my my roadcaster was literally shaking back and forth. Wow! It was it was just you know wiggling back and forth. I've never seen that before. I've never seen it since. Um, you know, we had, we had email difficulties. He was trying to send me, um, his portion of the show. I think we used Zencaster at the time and he was sending me his audio, (coughs) excuse me. And it would only send 10, uh, 20 minutes at a time. 
We recorded wow. for almost two hours, but it would only send 20 minutes of the first half and 20 minutes of the second half. Um, you know, so, you know, I mean, it's technology, right? You've had your right. phone, you've had your phone where it screws up or it bricks up. Um, you know, you turn on your TV and the Wi-Fi is not connecting, you know, technology, you have issues with it. Um, so it, it's hard to look past it's a machine, you know, it, right. it's electronics. There's going to be issues. Um, you know, that's where my head wants to go most times. But right. when you start having it happen consistently, when you're talking about very similar things, you, you know, I can't help but start putting some belief behind something's interfering for a reason. Now, yeah. you know, like, I don't know if it's, I don't know if it's good spirit that's interfering because maybe what I'm saying or talking about is just flat out not true. And it doesn't want me to, it doesn't want me to talk about something and give people an idea that is false. You know, maybe it's trying to interrupt me because I don't know what the hell I'm talking about. <laughs> or, you know, maybe it's something more nefarious and either what we're saying is something that they don't want to be brought out mm -hmm. or it's something nefarious and they're purposely causing disruptions so that people take take heed and they're like oh man did you hear that episode where they're having all the problems with the technology because they'd rather you look there than look at what they're really doing right you know and, I don't know the answers to those, but you know, it, it, it makes me wonder. It's like, what is, what is acting on that, that conversation? Right. Yeah. It's hard to know what is going on or why all we know that it is, yeah. you know, that's all we can know is that it is going on. You know, and it's funny. I mean, I have a, um, a friend of mine that I talk to on a regular basis and every time I talk to her, without fail Siri on my Apple watch mm -hmm. will kick on and it will, it will say, you know, I'm trying to find that online. I don't seem to be able to find anything. Um, yeah. But the, then there's been times where it is, it has come up with like, and it's relevant to the conversation that I'm having, you know, and you know, yeah. again, it's technology. You know, I just said her name and she didn't answer. Right. It didn't kick on. Right. But yet I can be having a conversation where I don't say her name and it kicks on and, and spits out something that has some relevance to, to my conversation. <laughs> and it's like, right. you know, well, yeah. what, what's, what's going on? Well, we didn't mention the, the, you know, the NSA CIA portion of all of this, you yeah. know, get, your, get yourself on a good watch list or two. And yeah. you might have tech troubles that way too. Who knows, man, there's too many variables. There really is. It's, uh, you know, and, and it's, it's kind of funny for me because, you know, I was born and raised Catholic, haven't been practicing, um, probably since the age of 14, 13, 14. Um, I was born and raised Catholic too. You know, um, I've told this story a million times. Uh, after winter break, 
priest asks us, you know, what'd you do over winter break? My parents took me to Chicago. We went to all the different museums and I really, I had a ball seeing all the dinosaur bones at the, I don't know if it was the field museum or the natural history museum, whichever one it was. And he just laughed at me and told me that, you know, the, the dinosaur bones were, they never existed. That's just stuff that's been made up by man for entertainment. Um, you know, and that was, that was my first, you know, when we talk about having using critical thinking and, and kind of following your gut and stuff, I was like, no, I, I mean, there were fake bones in there because they didn't have all of them, but you know, the vast majority of the skeleton was real. And he was like, no, it wasn't. And then I was like that really (coughs) for being 13 or 14, whatever it was, seventh grade, um, that really impacted me. It's like, what do you mean it's not real? Right. You know? So yeah. if, if I don't have faith in you to be able to have a conversation where you're not going to tell me that what I've, what I've seen and what, uh, you know, what has been excavated from the, the ground of this earth for, you know, years and years, what, what else are you not telling me the truth about? Right. You know, right. And I get that, you know, and our priest never said anything negative against dinosaurs or anything like that. Maybe this guy was just a, a old school conspiracy theorist. He was something, <laughs> I tell you. He was something. <laughs> but it, it, it just, you know, and I, I guess to some extent, I guess I'm kind of thankful that he did that. Um, because it didn't, it didn't drive me away from my belief in the creator. It didn't drive me away from my belief in, um, you know, uh, a, a Holy spirit. Um, but it did drive me away from men. And when I say men, I mean, uh, as a, as a species man, um, Mm -hmm. you know, when there's a, when there's a narrative, when there is, when there's something that can be gained by not telling you the truth. Um, you know, so I, I think even at that early of an age, that started me being more critical of what I, what I heard, what I read, what I saw. Um, you know, I kind of started putting more of a microscope to it and you know, that that's, I guess that's what's turned me into who I am today. Um, Right. You know, we talked about it before. It's like keeping an open mind, um, backed by your beliefs, being open to possibilities that other people think are, are crazy. Right. Yeah. Well, let me ask you, um, you, you've had these, those moments in your life where you needed to apply critical thinking. And when you saw Patty for the first time, Mm -hmm. you were sold on her. Did you have any experiences in your youth or your younger years um, with anything that you couldn't explain, like any personal accounts or anything? Because that's, you know, that's what uh, that's my show thrives on is firsthand ac- accounts for the most part. Man, I've, um, I've, I've, you, I got a ton of them. 
Do uh, you? Yes, I do. <laughs> are we talking haunted or are we talking uh, cryptids? What? I, I can tell you this. Um, it spans what I believe to be uh, UFO. Um, I had a, an enormous amount of interaction with my dad after he passed away. Um, what? And then what could possibly have been, um, in my mind, I'm, I'm fairly convinced that it was uh, not a visual sighting of a, of a Sasquatch, but again, I was in the peripheral effects of being around one. Um, take your pick. I can tell you all of them or, uh, y you know, why don't we do that? Why, why don't I tell you mine and then, uh, then we get into yours. Sure. Um, Let's do it. So I think like the first, the first main thing, um, I was about 14 and <clears throat> My parents had built on an addition to their house to house my dad's mom after his dad passed away. So she had her own little, um, her own little studio apartment that was attached to, to our house. And that's where I'm at currently. I am in that studio apartment is not my studio. Um, and my parents had gone out. My parents were very overprotective. So, um, when I say that I still had to be babysat at, at 14, um, you know, that's, that's basically the truth. They were, they were very overprotective. I was only child. Um, and on a Friday night, my parents went out, I was watching, um, a, sh a station out of Chicago and on Friday and Saturday nights, they had the son of which was a local horror movie show. The guy dressed up like in a top hat, like a ghoul, and he would do the in-between commercial breaks, and then, you know, you'd get 20, 25 minutes of horror movie, and then he'd do another break. And uh, I was watching whatever the movie was, and I was, I was laying down uh, in a prone position on the, on the living room floor, had my hands up underneath my chin and I was watching the movie and, uh, it was, it was warm out. The, the screen windows were open and I heard a plane going overhead and we are not far from the South Bend regional airport. So hearing planes going overhead was not unusual. Um, but it just seemed to continue to go and go and go and go, <laughs> you know, it was like, it was loud for too long. And I remember looking back at my grandma and saying something about it, you know, man, that plane's really taking a long time to go over the house. And it was just a couple of moments after that. Um, we were getting, it, we were getting close to about 11 o'clock. It was, it was somewhere in the neighborhood of 1030 to 11 o'clock at night. Um, all of a sudden, my entire neighborhood lit up brighter than brighter than daylight. Wow. And I got up off the floor and I walked to the front picture window 
And I looked over at my grandma and I was like, grandma, what, what's going on? And she's like, oh, I don't know, honey. Maybe it's a, it's probably just a storm. And I was like, a storm, you know, it, it wasn't lightning. It wasn't flashing this, it, the neighborhood was lit up. And I, I remember standing there and I was looking out across the, uh, the street at my neighbors and I could remember vividly that it was so bright that you could see inside the canopy of the trees. There were no shadows anywhere. Nothing cast a shadow. There was light everywhere. Um, and I remember looking at the eaves trough, you know, the overhang of the house, and I could tell that the light was above. I'm not. I'm not saying necessarily above my house, but it was right. a, the light. The the illumination that was happening was happening from above, and there was almost a glow right at the edge of the the um, gutters, the eaves trough, you know, almost like, almost like if you hung up uh, Christmas lights that, mm -hmm. you know, were, didn't hang down far enough where you could see it, but you could still see kind of like the halo of the color, you know? And I could just remember, I was in awe, you know, I was, I was looking, I, I can remember looking across the street at Mr. Dale's backyard and I could see the telephone pole with the, with the transformer on it. I can remember it being a light gray. Um, I can remember seeing the backs of the leaves on the big oak trees, and it was like lit up from underneath. You know, there just light was everywhere. Mm -hmm. And uh, I can remember looking across back behind their house where my best friend lived at the time, and uh, <laughs> their mom, <laughs> when we were young, their mom had gotten drunk. And uh, drove through the back of their garage. And you could see the discoloration from the, the siding on the garage where the old siding was and where the repair was done. It was, it was that vibrant. And, and then all of a sudden, you know, my grandma came over and grabbed me by the, by the right arm and she started pulling me away from the window. And as she did, <clears throat> right like two houses away from me, my street starts to curve. And right where that curve is, there's a, a dusk to dawn street light. And just as she pulled me away, the light went off and it went back to being nighttime. And I, I kind of pulled away from her, like not in a mean way, but I, I didn't want to leave the window. And right. she kept saying, come on, get away from the window, get away from the window. And I remember looking at that street light and it was just starting to flicker to come back on again. Whatever happened, it was, it was bright enough that it shut that light off. And as soon as it went back to being completely nighttime dark, it started kicking back on again. You know, this whole thing, you know, uh, to me, it seemed like it took several minutes. Um, right. You know, in reality, how long did it take? I don't know, but I do remember an awful lot of detail, <clears throat> you know, from from what I witnessed. Um, right. I can't remember if the the sound of the plane was still going on um, at the time or not. I don't know, um, but yeah, you know, that was that was one of my first real 
holy cow moments. Um, and then, you know, we move forward after that. Um, I had, I had dated this girl. Um, so I would be a senior. Hang on a second. Let me try to do something with this video. So I was dating this, uh, I was dating this girl. I was, uh, I graduated high school as a junior. So it would have been my senior year. She was a senior at a different high school and, uh, she graduated and went down to Southern Indiana for college. And, you know, back in the day, you know, you made mixtapes. You'd send it to your girlfriend, you know, I'd make a care package up and send her a mixtape of songs that we would listen to and, you know, some of her favorite candy bars and probably a love letter and something else. And so <clears throat> my dad was my dad was really, really cheap and he would not let me make long distance phone calls from the house. So I would I would have to <clears throat> I would have to go down to the local pay phone with a handful of change to talk to her. Yep. And, uh, I sent her down this, this tape that I had made and, uh, you know, I gave it a couple of days to get there and I, I went down to the, the payphone and I called her and, uh, like her, her roommate got on the phone and she just like tore my ass one, one way and down the other. And I was like, whoa, what are what are you talking about? And then my girlfriend got on the phone and she was like, I don't know what you think you're doing. Why you think that's funny? Um, why would you do that to somebody? And oh. I was like, what are you, what are you talking about? And she, she just basically reamed me out and then hung up the phone on me. And uh, a few days later, the box came back to me in the mail and, uh, candy bars were still in there. She, she didn't take anything. She just sent it all back. And, um, so me being depressed and bummed out, you know, that I didn't know what was going on. Um, Hold on. My, my cameras are going nuts here, man. Uh, I'm sorry. You're fine. I have no clue how that, what happened. <laughs> See, like nothing's responding. I'm frozen. Let's see. Well, I don't know. I'm not familiar with this. Are you hearing me? Okay. Yeah, I can hear you fine. All right. Whatever you had on earlier, uh, just a moment ago, yeah, I was seeing you from behind your ring light. Yeah, I know. That's what's weird. That's that's like my uh, my desktop camera 
you know, my, my desktop is behind the, my podium, my, uh, my tripod. Yeah. Um, no idea why I would switch over to that camera. <laughs> Let's see. I think I found it here. Let me. Uh, nothing's responding. I'm clicking buttons and nothing's going on here. Very strange. Yeah, man. Let me see if that'll work. Aha! There you go. Yep. All right. Sorry. Oh, you're fine. So I I get the box back in the mail. Um, all the candy is still in there. The the tapes in there. Uh, the love love letter was opened, uh, but just you know shoved back in there. And uh, <clears throat> so I did, you know, whatever a normal jilted boyfriend would do. And I, I took that tape that I had made for her and I went down in the basement and I started listening to it, you know, kind of wallowing in my tears. <laughs> and, uh, you know, just in, making, making myself more depressed. Oh, yeah. uh, and I got through one side and then I flipped the tape over. And when I did, and it started playing, there was this insane, deep, guttural growl. Mm. It was just, I mean, it scared the piss out of me. It really did. Mm. I was like, I had no idea what was what I was listening to. And... I listened to it for a couple of minutes and I mean, I got, I got nerved out bad and I called my buddy, Kevin, and I said, Hey bud, can you, can you come over? And he came over, I told him what had happened. And then I played that tape for him and he's like, you need to tell your dad. And, um, so we took the tape upstairs and I told my dad about it. And the the thing that was weird about it was my dad, did not he, he wasn't like he was quizzical about it he didn't ask a bunch of questions um he just kind of took it and he's like you take this out to the end of the driveway and you burn it and i was like what and he said mm. take it to the end of the driveway and burn it and i was like that seemed really strange you know to to have that response from him but we but we did we took it outside we took it down to the end of the curb and i had gone back into the garage and i got a little dixie cup and i had poured a little gasoline for the lawnmower in it and i poured that gasoline over the um now here here's where my critical mind starts thinking looking back on it it was you had to add oil to the gas and it was all old lawn boy. So, you know, the gasoline had a bluish hue to it, right? Because it has oil in it. Right. I took that, and it was maybe a quarter of that Dixie cup. I poured it on it. I set it on fire. And Kevin and I stood there and looked. And inside of the orange flames that were coming up, there was a blue upside-down cross. Wow. And Kevin... Kevin was a big boy. He was a roly-poly. 
<laughs> and and that boy, he had smoke coming off the back of his shoes. He flew <laughs> into the garage and into the house, right, and beat me, beat me getting in there. And <clears throat> he was a funny dude, man. I love that guy. Um, he's like, tell him, tell him, tell you, tell your dad what we saw. Tell him, tell him. And uh, so I told my dad, and he said. Um, He's like, tonight when you say your prayers, I want you to say this. And he told me this prayer. And it was, I'm so used to saying it in my head and not out loud. So give me a second here. Um, Dear Jesus, cover my family, friends, and myself with your blood. Protect Protect us from all the evil in the world. And it was super simple. It was just that. And I've never heard anybody ever say that before. I was never taught that in school when I was uh, going to Catholic school. It was n- it was nothing, you know, cover me with your blood right. and protect us from all the bad in the world. Um, and from that day on, when I say my prayers... That is the last thing that I say till this day. My dad, yeah. my, you know, that was probably 1985, 84. Um, and, and it's been with me ever since. So, you know, I don't know what the hell that was. I know what I put on that tape was not right. that. You know, that tape had Frankie Goes to Hollywood and Mr. Mister and, and a bunch of bands from the, the mid-80s on there. It was not uh, some, you know, demonic-sounding growl. Right. Um, you know, and then, um, you know, uh, there were some other things, but I think more significant, um, my dad my dad was hit and killed by a car um, in 1987. So I was 21. Um, PSA for all you kids out there. Um, if you're drunk, call an Uber. Call a taxi. Call a friend. Amen. Call somebody to come pick you up. My dad decided to get drunk at a bar, which was very close to our house, and decided to walk home instead of bothering anybody to come pick him up. Well, he made it across four lanes of a five-lane highway, and he got hit and killed. So at 21 years old, I went from having a mom and a dad to um, having a knock at the door at like 2.30, 3 o'clock in the morning, officer standing out there saying, are you alone in the house to my mom? She's like, no, my son's here. And he's like, you need to go down to Pawatting Hospital because your husband's been killed. I mean, it was literally, that was the, you know, no bedside uh, manner whatsoever. Hey, ma'am, I'm sorry to tell you, you know, you you need to get down to the hospital. It was just basically your husband's dead. And, you know, it was like, um, and, and the strange thing is that the interactions that I had didn't start right away. It was probably eight, nine months, maybe even a little bit longer 
after that. Um, I, you know, I, I'm, I don't know if you've ever been divorced or have friends that have been divorced, you know, but after you've been with somebody for, for a long time, um, and, and that's not there anymore. Um, you, you go through a, a little bit of a wild phase where you kind of go, sow your oats, you know? Yeah. Um, and that, that was something that my, my mom had done. Not, meant, not to make her sound like she was a bad person, but you know, not at all. 20, 20 years of marriage and now all of a sudden everything has changed and you know, she's trying to find out who she is. And yeah. so, you know, she, uh, she was spending a lot of time with a, a new guy. Um, and I was staying in the house that my dad had lived in with my mom. Um, I was living there pretty much alone for the most of the week. I mean, she'd come by and see me on the weekend or whatever, but for the most part, I was living here alone. And, uh, <clears throat> I had gone out to, um, uh, I bought a, uh, my first cordless phone. And uh, when I was at ABC Warehouse, I bought uh, I bought my my first cordless phone, and then I thought, you know, I'm important enough. I need an, an answering machine, so I don't miss calls anymore. You That's know, right. and uh, so I bought an answering machine as well. And uh, I had probably only had that phone for maybe a week or two, and at around sometime around two o'clock in the morning, the phone rang. And I sat up and I, you know, we, the phone rings in the middle of the night. It's never a good call. Right. Right. <clears throat> so I answered the phone and I said, hello. And on the other end of the phone, I hear, Hey boy. No. Now my name to my dad <laughs> for 99% of my life was boy. Right. Hey boy, go cut the grass. Hey boy, go watch the car. Hey boy, get your homework done. And over the phone, I hear, hey, boy. And then, you know, a lot of people listening to this now maybe don't remember landlines. <coughs> but when you hung up on somebody with a landline, you got the. Eh, 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 eh. Oh, yeah. And that's what it did. Mm -hmm. I put the antenna back down. I hit the off button and I put it back in its cradle. And as soon as it touched the cradle, it rang again. And I picked up the phone and I said, hello. And it's a woman's voice. And she says, is anybody in the house that shouldn't be there? And I said, what? And she says, is, are you alone in the house? And I'm like, ma'am, who, who is this? And she goes, is anybody in the house that shouldn't be there? And I said, no, it's two o'clock in the morning. Who is this? She says, I'm, you know, Sergeant so-and-so with the South Bend, uh, St. Joe County Police Department. And she goes, I need you to make sure that nobody's in the house. And I was like, ma'am, I said, I'm, I'm laying in bed. You know, I've been asleep. And she goes, would you please stay on the phone with me and go check, make sure the house is fine. So wow. I, got, I got up out of bed, you know, I was bare ass naked and I grabbed my, uh, my 44 and I went through the whole house, went into all the different rooms. Nobody's here. 
Uh, garage door was closed. The doors were all locked. No windows were open. And I told her, I said, man, there's nobody here. And I got back and I was sitting on the edge of my bed and she's like, well, we got a 911 phone call from this, from this phone number. And I was like, you got a 911 call from this number. And, you know, I, I still going through my head. Now I'm, I'm, I'm freaked out because, you know, I just got woke up in the middle of the night. I heard my dad's voice. Then immediately I get a phone call from the police saying they got a 911 call from this number and they're wanting me to check the house out. <clears throat> it was all, it was all very confusing. Um, you know, hearing the, the lady's voice from the police department kind of, kind of put my dad's voice kind of on the back burner and, <clears throat> you know, and then she ends up the end of the conversation is she's like, by chance, do you have a cordless phone? And I said, yeah, I do. I, you know, I mean, I just got one and I've only had it for, you know, a couple of weeks. And she said, oh, well, uh, some some cordless phones have been known to um, dial nine one one by themselves, and I was like, you know, I mean, none of this was making any sense to me. Right, well, you know, after after it had happened, you know, I, I kind of started thinking, and it's like, so my dad called. I was awake, you know, I. When I hung up the phone, I was I was looking around my room. You know, I was I was up. I was awake. I'm firmly convinced that I was awake, and I'm firmly convinced that it was my dad's voice on the phone. Right. I, was, I wasn't yeah. drunk. I hadn't been out partying. It was it was just a normal. You know, I was in a normal state of mind, um, other than just being woken up. Right. You know. So I started thinking, and it's like. Did my, you know, because he was killed pretty quickly. You know, he was hit by a car. Um, was that his way of, did he recognize that he was in danger? You know, did he recognize that something bad had happened to him and he was trying to call 911? Or was he, was he concerned that my mom was not in the house anymore and you know was he worried about me all right hang on a second these damn technical difficulties <laughs> I know man you know so I start I start wondering it's like you know what what was he trying to achieve was he worried that I was you know that my mom wasn't living in the house now was I was he afraid that I wasn't being taken care of you know was that his way of 
checking in and, and making sure that somebody knew I was, you know, was he scared that I was alone? Was it, was it him realizing that something really, really traumatic happened to him? And, you know, that was his attempt to, to try to, you know, did he not realize he was dead? I don't, you know, I don't know. It's just, it's a very strange um, series of circumstances. And then um, not, you know, like after he got killed, um, we went to the hospital and I got his, I got his pocket knife, his buck knife. And uh, I had bought him uh, earlier that year in June or July for his birthday. I bought him a Mariner's crucifix which I don't know if you know what that is, but it's an anchor with Christ on it. Um, he, he loved boating, and, you know, that was a big passion to him and my mom. And, uh, you know, I got that, and, and I decided to start wearing that all the time. And <clears throat> I, I, I just never, I took it, I never took it off. Um, but the chain on it started getting worn and it was getting kind of frayed and it was catching on clothes and blankets and stuff. So I went and got a new chain for it and I decided I was going to take better care of it. So I would take it off at night when I went to bed, I would take it off when I would take a shower and I took it, I went to go to take a shower. I took it off, put it on the, um, the, the counter near the sink, um, in the bathroom and I went and took my shower. Well, when I got out, I went to put it back on. It was gone. And, you know, I, I looked at the, the, the towel thinking it got, you know, the, the point of the anchor got hooked on the terry cloth or, you know, it wasn't there. Couldn't find it in the carpet. Retraced my steps back and forth. I realized I'm positive I took it off and set it on the sink. And, you know, finally I got dressed and went out in the garage, found the plumber's uh, wrench and I took the gooseneck off of the sink thinking that it went down the drain and it would be there. It wasn't in there. Um, after my mom had moved out of the house, um, I never had a healthy relationship with death or grieving or any of that stuff. They always kind of kept me from that. Um, right. So I didn't know how to react when he died. So when she moved out, I closed the door to their bedroom because I didn't want to see any pictures of my dad. I didn't want to deal with the emotional aspects of, you know, I didn't want to break down. I didn't want to feel like I was crying. Um, I, I didn't, it had taken me a while of getting over it. So I didn't want to like reopen that whole feeling again. So I just closed the door to their bedroom. Um, and you know, it, couple of months went by and I could not find that that crucifix anywhere um, flash forward a couple of months and uh, I was getting ready to go out on a date and I went to put my favorite white button down collar shirt on and button fell off of it well if I would have worn the shirt without the button it would have been buttoned down to the middle of my chest and I would have looked like Guido or something you know so um, <laughs> I uh I walked down the hallway and I knew my mom had a sewing basket underneath her bed. So I walked down the hallway. I took a deep breath. I opened up the door to her bedroom and sure enough, right in front of me is a little end table. And there's a picture of me and my dad on vacation in Traverse city, Michigan. 
and and it, it dawned on me it was like okay this isn't as bad as what i was expecting you know um i, I immediately was hit with a good a good memory you know and i was like i can do this so i went and i sat down on the edge of the bed facing her dresser which had a big mirror on it and on the wall behind me there was a my dad's military photograph and it was a black and white photograph but they had back in the day they used to send those to some place and they would take like pastel colors to add a little bit of color to the the cheeks and and stuff like that it wasn't really a color picture but it was kind of you know um so i'm looking in the mirror and over my right hand shoulder is the picture of my dad and the way he was posed in the picture he was like looking at me and I can remember sitting there and looking at that picture for a while and I was I, I didn't have I mean I was sad but I didn't have terrible emotions going right um, so I, I reached down I pulled out the uh, the sewing basket and I stitched the um, I stitched the button back on my shirt and when I got done I looked back over at the that little end table. Um, and it was funny because my mom always used to get really pissed at my dad because he would go to sleep with a glass of ice water or a glass of ice with Coke in it. And he would never drink everything and he would just sit it on that wood. And in the morning, there'd be a white ring on this. All right. I looked over and in front of that picture of me and him in Traverse City, there was half of a wet ring on that table and inside that ring was the Mariner's crucifix and chain. Oh my goodness. And what do you do with that? You know, I literally just said out loud. Okay. I get it. You're still here. Hmm. You know, and I, I looked up in the mirror and I looked at that that young 24-year-old version of him that was from the military. And I was just like, okay. You know, it, it, was a, it, was, it was an emotional thing because, you know, it was, it was an interaction with my dad. Um, it was a, a confirmation that my belief in spirits and, you know, ghosts or um, spirits being able to reach out from beyond, uh, you know, known, our known reality. Um, it just, it was a confirmation for me of it. And, yeah. you know, I had already believed in spirits, but this was my, this was my holy shit moment, you know? <laughs> and, uh, you know, I'm really thankful that it happened. Um, it was it was bizarre to say the least um you know but it was a confirmation for me and i don't know it's you know that that was there were some other things uh you know like taking laundry down into the basement and then having to come upstairs and go back down you know 20 minutes later and all the laundry in that basket is just strewn all across the bottom of the basement um 
it caused an argument between me and my fiance because um, wow. I thought because I thought she did it um, because she always got pissy with me because I didn't know how to do laundry right. Um, right. But looking back on it, uh, she was in the shower the entire time that I had taken the I had taken the clothes downstairs to do the laundry. The phone rang. I ran upstairs, answered the phone, talked to my mom for about twenty minutes, and then went back down to finish doing the laundry. And all the clothes were just out of the basket and thrown all over the basement. Um, you know, faucets in the in the bathroom being opened up as as wide as they can go. You know, stepping out of the shower and looking at, across to me, uh, across the the bathroom at the sink and seeing it just about to overflow, um, and then going to shut the water off. But you know, and I was a pretty burly dude back then. I could hardly get them to shut off. It was like just wrenched open. Really? Yeah. And, uh, you know, so things like that. Um, I was a bouncer at a bar um, when when my fiance and I were, were first together. And uh, for the most part, she would come down most nights. Uh, but one night in particular, she said, you know, I don't know if I'm going to come down or not. And I don't know. It was around... 10 30 11 o'clock i called the house and i said hey are you coming down tonight or not and she's like no i'm just gonna stay here and listen to the symphony and i was like what do you mean and she's like it sounds like every pot and pan in your mom's cupboards just let loose and just started clanging all over the place and she said i went and opened up the cupboards thinking that like the shelf broke and that everything was going to be just laying you know all scattered and she said everything was stacked just like normal she's like but i know what i heard and, wow, you know, so it wasn't anything that was ever scary, and even for her, um, I think she was weirded out by it. Um, right, but it wasn't anything that was like terrifying. Um, so yeah, I mean, but you know, then we got close to we we ended up moving out of here and going and getting our own apartment, and uh, from that point on. Never had another, never had another interaction with him uh, that I know of. Um, my mom eventually moved back to this house, and you know she was always very open, and you know was open to having conversations about this stuff. And she's like, honestly, hon, I've never, I've never had any kind of a, a weird, anything, you know. So I, I can't help but think that you know it was mostly with regards to me, you know, yeah. um, you know, he was overprotective in life and, you know, he was probably overprotective in the afterlife too. So, <laughs> um, but you know, then, uh, years later, um, you know, I, I hunted when I was 16, 15, I think it was, uh, got my first deer at 15 and, uh, man, that was, a, that was a big mistake cause I was not ready. Uh, I was not ready to take a life. And once I did, um, I had a really tough time with it. Um, you know, I just, it was, it did not agree with me at all. Um, right. So I stayed away from hunting until I was, I was in my mid forties. And, uh, you know, I really started getting the itch to want to go hunt. And um, I was, I was hunting for the right reason. You know, we were going to eat the food and it was, 
you know, it was helping out and it was, you know, not as expensive as, as going buying, you know, 120 pounds of meat at the, at the store. And, you know, it just, it just made sense. And, and my intent behind right. it was, was what it should be as far as a hunter goes. Um, but while I was on this property, um, I did not have, I did not have uh, permission to hunt the property beside where I hunted. But it was, there was something about this property that was so interesting. It had, um, that's, they had a bunch of pine trees where all the turkeys would roost. Um, then there was a, a, a regular swath of uh, just regular forest trees, um, anything and everything, a lot of low-lying brush. And then there was a path, and on the opposite side of the path was another small swath of uh, pine trees. And then beside that, there was like a wetlands. Uh, there was a small creek that went through there and there was a lot of uh, tall grasses and you could see where the deer would bed down like from where my hunting spot was on the property i had permission um you could see where all the grass was bedded down at night you know from from the deer and uh, one day it was it was getting close to time to stop hunting um daylight was fading pretty quick and I just, I just got a wild hair up my butt and I wanted to go walk onto that property cause it was just neat. So I set my shotgun down. I was, uh, I was on a bucket and I was behind a big deadfall. It was just a massive, uh, set of branches from this tree that had fallen down. And I walked onto this property about, I don't know, maybe 40 yards, maybe a hair bit more. And, uh, I was just taking my time. I didn't have my weapon with me. Um, and I got to the point where I could see the corner of the house that was on that property. And I was like, Ooh, too far. Uh, so I turned around and I started walking back slowly again. And as I started walking back slowly, I hear footsteps behind me in the leaf litter. And I stopped and I was like, shit, it's the landowner. And yeah. he is going to ream my butt. So I stood there. I had both my hands at my side. He could see that I didn't have a weapon. You know, I, it, if nothing else, at least I was going to be able to make the argument that I was, I'm just trespassing. I'm sorry. I'm not, I'm not trying to hunt on your property. You know, I left my gun on the other side. Um, and I stood there for a moment and I was fully expecting to have this guy start yelling at me. And he didn't. And I was like, well, I start walking again. And I took one or two steps, and then all of a sudden I hear the footsteps behind me. And I walked for a little while, and I stopped. And as soon as I stopped, I heard maybe one or two more steps, and then it stopped. And then I did it again. And it did it again. And now I got, I got chills all over my body. Because right. I know in my brain, I'm thinking that I've got a 10 or 12 point buck that got a scent off of me and is following me back to my, back to my gun. <laughs> so now in my head, I'm like, I got this massive trophy buck behind me and all I got to do is I got to get to my, I got to get to my shotgun and turn around and he's going to be there dead bang. And so from that point on, I was, I wasn't thinking, you know, at first I was thinking it was the landowner. Then right. I'm thinking it's a massive, uh, a massive deer. 
and uh, I, I I get to my gun. I don't turn around. I just reach with my one hand real slowly. I grab it by the barrel. I lift it up, get it in front of me, raise it up so I can get my hand on the on the trigger. I got my other hand on the pump, and I'm thinking to myself, it's like all you got to do is just turn at the waist. Don't move your feet or anything. Just turn at the waist. He's going to be right there. I did that, and as I just, uh, as I twitched, just just twitched to start moving, I hear this massive exhale of air, just as, and I hear thump, thump, and it's gone. Wow. I was like, what the? So I took two or three steps back onto the property that I shouldn't have been on, and I'm looking into the pine trees because that, it sounded like it took off on to my left side. And I'm standing there and I'm looking at it. I'm fully expecting to see like this big white tail sticking out from behind the trunk of a big ass tree or something, you know, right. giving me no shot. <clears throat> and there's nothing. There's not a leaf that's like floating back down to the ground. There's no twig that's, mm-hmm. you know, wiggling back and forth because it got brushed up against. There is nothing. And it's dead quiet. And I was like, God damn, how can he not, how can I not see, you know, at least see the ass end of it bounding away or something? Nothing. Nothing. So I stood there for a couple of minutes and I'm like, you know, and I'm just chalking it up to, you know, I mean, how many times have you ever been out in a field and, you know, looking across the field, looking for deer and you don't even see them until they're halfway out there because that, that, that weird ass brown and tan that doesn't look like it'd be camouflaged for anything it is perfect. You know? It is perfect. Yep. And, and then all of a sudden they're standing out in this field. So, you know, I don't see anything. And I, I go, I grab my, my bucket and uh, I think I had a bottle of water with me and I'm walking out of the woods and I get to the field and then I start following the tree line back to my car at the, at the front of this property, which is about probably 350 yards tree lines on my left hand side i've got a I, i've got a fetish for light flashlights i freaking love flashlights so i always got you know like the i had one back in in the 90s that if you left it on too long it would catch on fire you know? oh yeah <laughs> so i had i had a really good flashlight with me and i start walking down uh, walking back to the car and i start hearing the footsteps again and i'm telling you man i'm i'm like I'm like 10 feet outside the, the tree line and the footsteps that I'm hearing walking couldn't be 10 or 15 feet inside the tree line. And um, it's pacing me. It, it's walking along with me. It's going the same direction as I am. I can tell by the sound of it. So I, I rip open the Velcro. I pull out my flashlight and I, I just beamed it right in there. Nothing. Again, no twigs, no leaves, no, nothing is moving. Yet I keep hearing this thing walking, you know? So then I start looking like deeper into the woods, you know, maybe my, my ears are playing tricks on me. It's further into the woods than I think. I'm, I'm just scanning. I haven't stopped walking, mind you, um, because now it's kind of creeping me out that I can't see anything, but Bigfoot is not in my brain at all. Um, even though I was already an avid believer of Bigfoot, this, 
this isn't, you know, a thousand yards away from uh, the high school that my kids went to, you know, right. It's in a, it's, it's in a fairly populated area. Um, And it followed me about two thirds of the way back to my car and it just stopped. I don't know what the hell that was. I can tell you whatever it was, it was damn good at hiding because I couldn't see a damn thing, you know, flash forward several years, um, listening to a lot of, you know, Sasquatch Chronicles and, you know, watching a bunch of different documentaries and really starting to delve into people's experiences way deeper than, you know, just watching Finding Bigfoot or something like that, actually getting into um, actual people's reports of, you know, what, what, what's going on when people are around these things. And, you know, two and two, two and two started adding up to four to me. Um, I didn't see it. So I can't say it was Bigfoot. I didn't see it. Um, but, 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 (laughs) (laughs) so, um, yeah, man. Yeah. So, I mean, you know, those, those are just a couple of, of the things that have, you know, really kind of opened my, opened my eyes and, and opened my perspective to, um, to doing this, you know, I just, and, you know, there's, for the average person, I think, you know, getting into these types of subjects, you know, what do you have to, what do you have to look at? You get to watch, uh, ghost adventures, ghost hunters, uh, finding Bigfoot. All these shows are, are produced for TV. You know, they want people to come back after the commercial. They want people to come back next week, you know, so they're going to put things in there that might be a little disingenuous. But when you start digging deeper into things and you start watching um, documentaries that are, you know, that you can rent for a dollar ninety nine on Amazon, um, it's not something that's going to get national attention. It's you're not going to you're not going to find it on uh, a regular TV channel, uh, you know. Right. But those are the ones that you know. There's a, there's a lot of there's a lot of crap you got to wade through. There's a lot of stuff that is, you know, just throw it out with the bathwater, man, because it's, you know, but there, when you start looking into it and, and you start getting those things that start hitting you in the gut and you're mm-hmm. like, Hmm, that makes sense. You know? Yep. And, you know, I, I did a, my, we loved watching ghost adventures and ghost hunters, you know, and my kids, when they were, you know, 12 and 13 or 13 and 14, they wanted to go ghost hunting. So we found an old graveyard that was, you know, maybe 20 minutes away from the house, if that. And we spent a couple hours out there. Um, when we got done, I had pictures of a face in the woods. I had caught a an orb that came out of absolute nowhere, manifested in front of me. My daughter was standing right next to me. I was videotaping it and got it on videotape. And my, yeah. my 12 or 13-year-old daughter is going, holy shit, holy shit, holy shit. <laughs> you know, because she <laughs> saw it. Um, and, you know, I, I walked and then we got an EVP on my son's phone um, that said, you shouldn't be here. Uh, not in a threatening right. way. Not in a, it, it almost reminded me of... 
almost reminded me of like an old lady saying, you shouldn't be here. You know, like this isn't your place. You shouldn't, she wasn't threatening. It wasn't mean. It wasn't, uh, you know, get out. You know, it wasn't anything like that. Um, but you know, in two, two and a half hours, we walked out of there and, and the evidence that we had got, I was like, I, you know, I've done a couple more investigations, um, but it's not because I'm needing to prove anything because I'm, I'm firmly, firmly in the belief that these things are, are real and, and a part of our reality. And, and for whatever reason, whatever transpires, we get to interact with that at times, you know? Yeah. So, yeah. You know, we could talk for four hours and, and I probably wouldn't have told you everything yet, but you know, I want to hear some of your stuff too. Oh, sure, man. Uh, and yeah, I could go on forever. Um, what got me doing podcasting was I was on Tony Merkel's waiting list. Um, it was right before the pandemic hit. I had called or got a hold of him on online. And he's like, sure, yeah, you know, let's do it. But it was like a six-month waiting list. And then, you know, the uh, the whole world shut down around mm-hmm. March of 2020. Yeah. I'm a teacher, so I come home, and I had nothing else going on, man. Like, everybody's afraid to go out the door. <laughs> you know yeah. what I mean? I'm sitting here. I have Zoom, a desktop, and a desk, and a mic so I can talk to kids. And I was like, instead of waiting on Tony, let's just uh, – let me kick it off by talking about myself, you know, my own experience and get a couple friends on here so that I can interview them and, you know, build this show. So I, I got tons of content that I had written down waiting for Tony. Um, I got to finally try to blurt out most of it one day on an episode. Um, he brought on like six podcasters and did a mega show. I, I listened to that. Yeah. I was like four of six. You know, yeah. I got like <laughs> I got like fifteen, twenty minutes, I think, of airtime. And I was like, Yeah, well, you know, it is what it is. But I'll I'll go through some of the highlights that I I told on there. I, I may have talked about it on my show a couple of times, but I, I I try to think of things that I haven't talked about a million times. Um but when I was when I was a kid, I was raised Catholic but my parents were divorced when I was like a year old. So I would, I was Catholic every other weekend. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah. When it was convenient. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It worked out, you know, it's just enough to make me absolutely terrified of demons and possession. And my old Italian grandmother watching that stuff on TV all the time. Uh, you know, it made sure it put the fear of God in me real good. You know, and, uh, I got all the guilt, all that kind of good stuff. But as a kid, man, I grew up um, this old – I live in southern Appalachia. Uh, you got to know that too. Yeah. West Virginia, um, everything's old. Everything's haunted here. Uh, like every single house, I would say, you know, somebody's got a story. But my house was no different. Um, it was an old stone house built in like the late 1800s. We were allowed to live there for free. Um we were pretty poor, but we were allowed to stay in this house. Um, just keep, you know, try to keep it up 
while we lived there. Mm-hmm. You know, we I stayed there until I was about eleven or twelve years old. But there were several people that died in that house, um, and it was we would have like cold spots and stuff like that. Um, my mom's experiences were a little more personal, I guess, than than ours where we were kids. But it would be like the classic stuff, man. Like you walk in the living room and the rocking chair would be in full swing, you know, and you'd, you know, I'm on like, good morning, tech, because I was one of the old ladies' names that, that passed away. And she'd say, you want a cup of coffee? And she'd go in to the kitchen, come back, the rocking chair would be still. Um, there was recurring nightmares about something staring through the window that's at the foot of the steps. Um, somebody had fell down the steps and died. And uh, there, there was these... The, a very specific nightmare that I would have about something that was at the foot of those steps looking through the door. And uh, it was disturbing, man. I had that dream all the time. But, you know, that's typical kid stuff, I guess. Um, but it got me interested. Uh, it got me interested in ghosts. Why are these things moving? Why does it feel like this in this part of the house and not that part of the house? You know, it just sparked my curiosity. Mm-hmm. Um my dad, he helped out with the uh, the whole aliens and UFO part because in the 70s, my dad was in the Air Force. He worked for the NSA in Maryland. Um, so when I'm a kid, you know, X-Files are out. Dad starts sharing stories with me about what was going on. You know, so I'm a teenager. I'm soaking it all in, but... He would tell me stuff, and I've had Dad on the show three or four times. Um, he would tell me things about how when he was working for the NSA, he would get – they had teletype machines back then. It was kind of like fax machines or whatever, like in real time, pre-internet. Uh, I guess the intranet was out, but not the internet. So he would be sitting there, and he would get messages, you know, such and such – aircraft, you know, UFO shot down in such and such location. Um, you know, not just, you know, it have all the, the confidential stuff on there. So he would get the rips. He would take it to his boss. They tear it up. You never saw this, that kind of stuff. Just enough to keep that curiosity going. But once I got old enough, once I was in the air force myself, I had a lot of a lot more weird stuff going on, man. Um, I was stationed in Louisiana. I'm, I'm trying to, I'm trying to go fast, and I don't know why, but yeah, take your time, man. Um, weird things happen. Honestly, Eric, weird things happen all my life, but um, things that I didn't really talk about a whole lot is what I want to want to capture. Ex-wife and I were having an argument over money. Okay, this is this is weird ways that God works to me. Uh, I don't know what else it could be, but we were having an argument over money, and I promise you this happened to me, man. Um, we're going down Barksdale Boulevard. If anybody knows where that where that's at, it's in it's on the Bossier City side of the Shreveport Bossier area in Louisiana. We're getting into an argument talking about how I can't afford this, can't afford that straight ahead of me. It looks like a bird almost, you know, just like this little black ball 
just pops up out of nowhere, center of my windshield, splats against my windshield. Goes flying all directions. It was a ball of money. I pull off the road, and in the median, I'm picking up fives, tens, twenties. I get like seventy dollars, I what? think. Yes. Um, one or two other cars stop because you know you, people can see the money floating around. Yeah. I don't ask questions, man. <laughs> I, I start snatching up money like I'm in one of those machines, you know. Uh, but prayer answered. You know, it's almost like God's like, shut up. Take a couple dollars. Um, but weird stuff like that has happened to me. Uh, when I was a few years younger than that, I was almost out of gas. I was heading to work, man. And I remember sitting there. My, my car was already on empty. I prayed to God to give me enough gas just to make it to the gas station. Like I said, I was poor all my life. <laughs> so I sit there, I say a prayer, and I mean it. I watched the gas hand move up. I wasn't going anywhere. I was sitting on flat ground. It was as flat as it could be for West Virginia. I watched the gas hand go up, and I had enough gas, not just to make it to the gas station. I drove past the gas station. I went on to work after work. Then I went out, hit the gas station and stuff, and come back to the house. But it was just these little things that I felt like God was listening to me all my life. Yeah. Um, once I'm in the military, like I said, I got into ghost hunting. It was, uh, what was it 2005, 2006, ghost hunters come out. So I get a couple of guys together. It's Louisiana. There, there's no shortage of, of scary places to yeah. go to. <laughs> so, uh, we would hit like a cemetery and I remember I took my uncle, he come in from Texas. I took my uncle out and his children. He had a little boy that was about eight years old and he had a daughter that was, uh, I think she was 13 and the other was 15, three of them. So I took them out to a local cemetery around Ringgold, Louisiana, if anybody wants to look that place up, it's a whole town has one stoplight. <laughs> um, I took them out there and I got the cameras and stuff. You know, I got, it's got the green light and they called it night vision. Uh, you know, I had like the, the digital thermometer that could take the air readings and the EVP recorder and all that. We're walking around and I'm, I'm talking, my uncle's talking, just trying to see if anything would communicate back. We didn't pick up any kind of strange readings, but visually, I saw a light. It's like a little glimmer over a tombstone out there in the cemetery. So the middle kid and I, we walked out there. And when we get to this headstone, it was of a little girl that had died at the age of 13. It was the same age as the girl that was with me. So we thought that was, you know, something, something cool. Yeah. Just enough to keep that curiosity going, man. Um, let's see. Leaving the Air Force. This is, Here's my UFO story for you, Eric. Um, when we were, when I was getting out, it was November 
the 9th of 2009. I was driving home. I was actually in the passenger seat. My dad was driving because he come he came down to Louisiana and helped me get everything together and, and bring me home. Um, he was kind of protective too, I guess. You know? <laughs> so uh, we're driving back home. He was driving at the time. He had an H2 Hummer. Or a, nice. Yeah, a big, a big red gas guzzler. You know, yeah. we're, he picked me up in style. We're coming home. And we were in a place on I-20. I'm trying to give specifics because I, I want people to be able to look these places up if they need to. We're on I-20 that night. We had just passed a water tower for a place called Arkadelphia. I'm not sure. I think I was still in Louisiana at the time. But we were on our way out. And being in the passenger seat, out of my right, you know, out of my right side, peripheral vision, I see a little white dot in the sky. Everything's flat out here, man. Um, the roads aren't turning or anything like that. I just see a little dot out here. Looks like a plane, and it's it's just at a good pace, going in the same direction as we are. But as you know, as you're going straight and something else is going straight at a faster rate, it winds up being in front of you, right? Yeah. So once it comes up to the, the windshield to where my dad could see it, it catches his eye too. And he's like, man, what is that? And I'm like, I don't know. It's not blinking. It's just a solid white light. And it goes forward in front of us over I-20. And it doesn't get very big. It's like a, a pin light. It's not, not huge which is a solid light and it's directly in front of the car, probably a mile and a half away. When all of a sudden this white light flashes out and when it flashed out, it was this weird green light. I've never seen that shade of green before. Never seen it since just this weird green and it filled the sky. Um, everything went green and then the light sucked back in, gone. Um, what the I heck? don't know if it, I don't know if it hit like a portal. I don't know if it, I don't know if you've seen space balls. Like, you know how they say they've gone play, you <laughs> yeah. know, that's exactly what it felt like. But, you know, at, by, by now that was 14 years ago. I would have felt like it was a dream or like I as a false memory or something like that. But my dad witnessed it with me. Yeah. That's you know? great that you got confirmation for. Yeah. Thank God witness. for that. Yeah. Um, no clue, man. No clue. Uh, I've done tons of research on that weird green light. And I have found things where they talk about um, green lights signify a portal. Um, there's a, there's references to green doors being paths to the other side, stuff like that. But that's all I could really figure out about that. I, I tried to find out if anybody else had sightings that evening in that area. Yeah. Couldn't find anything anywhere. Um, one more, I, I, I jotted a few things down. One more about, um, paranormal, I guess is in Michigan. It's a Michigan story for East Lansing. Um, my buddy, my best friend, I was, I was in the air force with him the whole time. And, uh, 
I, at the time, I didn't really believe him. I thought he was just lonely. I had got out, like I said, November of 09. So for New Year's that year, and I don't know if you remember how bad it snowed that year, but I had a little Hyundai accent, little beater, ugly car I paid $600 cash for. <laughs> I live in West Virginia. It's about eight hours, seven hours to get up to Doug. Uh, he was telling me, he was like, man, I got this weird stuff going on in the house. You know, I, I hear growling. My lights keep flickering. I think you need to come up here, man. And I know Doug is like a hardened skeptic. He thinks I'm an idiot for believing in anything. <laughs> but but he's having this stuff go on, and we were good drinking buddies. So I was like, yeah, man, I'll drive up there. <laughs> so I did. You know, I had nothing else going on. Uh, so I drove up and I stayed a few days with him. Well, he's telling me that this, this noise, this, these weird happenings are going on in his basement, which was furnished. It was a furnished basement. So I, I bring all my stuff with me, man. Um, I had that little camera. I had, you know, the thing for the air temperatures. I had the EVP recorder. Um, also had a EMF detector and we would go through the house and, you know, he thought I was stupid, but I was checking everything. Um, he had this little picture hanging on the wall that when I would scan over that picture, it would give off EMF, you know, that electromagnetic frequency or whatever. And I thought, okay, there's probably electrical stuff going on in this wall. So I'd, I'd take the picture off the wall and I could hold it in the middle of the room still scan it. It was still giving off. No clue. It was like an old print photo of an eagle with a flag behind it. It wasn't anything significant. I have no clue why I was doing that, but it did. So I was eating it up, man. And we decided to go down to the basement. And this is where I was talking about you step into the ring with Mike Tyson, you know, with no training. I was an idiot. Um, we go into this basement and we're taking air readings to see what the temperature is. It's steady temperature. I, I don't remember the number. I'll just throw something out there. We'll say it was like 73 degrees. All right. In the basement, ambient temperature. When I would put it near myself, it would drop seven or eight degrees, maybe nine degrees closer to my body. It was colder. I'd hold it out. It'd be warmer again. I put it next to Doug no change. I'd let him hold it. He'd come next to me and it would be colder again. Really? Oh yeah. And like an idiot, I spoke out to it, to whatever it was. And I said, if you need, (laughs) I I said, if you need energy, Oh no. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, man. I invited it to use me. To, to use my energy to manifest itself that I was going to, you know, challenge it. I wanted to see it. I wanted it to do something. Copious amounts of alcohol were involved here. <laughs> um, I'm talking like I drank about a fifth of the, the Kraken. You familiar with the black rum? Yeah. Yeah. It's like 94 proof. You know, I, I was 
we were vets, man. You know, that's what we did. You, you <laughs> we were, we you drank were, all the time. You were tuned up pretty good. <laughs> oh, yeah. Yeah, that and, you know, we because we couldn't get drunk on beer anymore. We drank probably 30 or 40 beers between the two of us. <laughs> uh, it was uh, not a proud time of my life, but functional alcoholics is what we were, I guess. Um, but it was just enough for me to get dumb, you know, to be a little more bold. And I, I challenged this. You know, I told her they could use my energy, do whatever it wanted to. Um, nothing happened that I that I knew of, you know. So we come back upstairs and we're sitting around, sobering up, eating some food, watching TV or whatever else, goofing off, joking. And uh, all of a sudden, man, I mean, this is like an hour or so later. There's no more drinking going on. Um. It's like I started almost getting tunnel vision. Never happened to me before in my life. I it just felt like everything was closing in on me. And I, I started feeling real weird. And I told him, I said, Man, I'm I'm gonna have to go lay down. And uh I don't know what's going on. I feel like my blood pressure's out of control, you know. And I went, laid down. I honestly I prayed as I fell asleep. I didn't know if I was passing out or falling asleep. It, it was that bad. And I know I was, I was just saying how much we drink. It wasn't, un, it wasn't out of the norm for us to drink a lot. You know what I mean? It, this wasn't like a drunk kind of thing. It was a, I don't know what this is kind of feeling. And the next morning I woke up still out of it, man. Um, just wasn't myself. We drove to a little, uh, like a med express, a little clinic out there and they took my blood pressure. It was like 180 over 120. It was through the roof. Yeah. Um, the doctor would see me, but they wanted me to pay him like $75. I didn't have it. I spent it all on booze a week before. Um, but I just felt off that big storm hit winter storm. So I was kind of trapped there for a couple of days, left there, come back down to my sister's house in Ohio in Columbus, stay with her for a few more days. Never could feel right, man. I, I felt just horrible. So it, was, it wasn't leaving you at all. No, not at all. I started feeling depressed. Um, I started feeling anxious, got real worried about going, driving back home. And eventually, you know, it took four or five days, but I made it down to the house, you know, when the weather cleared up and I trust that little stupid car enough to get down there. Got back to the house, man. And I, I promise you, it felt like I had a curse on me for five years straight, like almost to the day, five years. No kid, That long. Um, I mean, riddled with anxiety, um, like paralytic anxiety. Like I would, I'd be driving to work and have to turn around and come back home. There, there'd be days I'd be so depressed I couldn't get out of the bed. I was just tore up, man. And that wasn't who I was yeah. before that. Um, and it was just like a really, really heavy oppression. Um, wow. I had, you know, I had gotten saved. You know, I gave my life to the Lord when I was about 20 years old. But as soon as I'd gotten to the military age, you know, I started living for the world. You know, I started just regular. I, I just love life. You know, I yeah. loved the world. 
So at that age, at 30 to 35, I wasn't, I wasn't living a, a godly life at all. Um, pretty about as far away from it as you, you can get. Um, so I wasn't adept to spiritual warfare or oppression or, you know, what to pray for things to go away or how to, how to fight back at all. I just basically curled up and took it, man. Um, I, I just let it get a hold of me for years. I thought I was cursed, you know, um, instead of oppressed, I was like, man, I know I got a lot of, a lot of exes out there that probably hate my guts. I got some bad people in my life that probably would curse me. So I'm, I'm trying to look for ways to break curses. You know, um, I'm looking, I'm Googling stuff like, you know, you get a Mason jar and you pee in it and put nails in the pee and you bury that in the river and that'll somehow supposed to break a curse. (laughs) You know, it's like all this weird stuff, you know, but once I, started getting back on track spiritually, it lifted off. Like it couldn't stay. And from around that age, about 35 or 36 years old, I started getting back in tune with the Lord. And it's weird how my life transformed. Um, I've had a whole lot of stuff go on in my in my family life this last year. I, I won't get into all of that. Um, I've, I've got into it a couple times on my show. I got into it a couple times on other shows. So I'll, I'll just leave that alone for now. Um, but there are some dark forces out there, man, that will hit you in your soft spots. Like um, it tells you in the Bible to wear the full armor of God that you know, the devil knows your soft spots, right? Mm-hmm. And he'll hit any chink in your armor. They know where to hit you, man. Those fiery, those fiery arrows of the of the adversary. And sure enough, that happens. You know, it, it happens. It'll hit you in your family life. It'll hit you in your finances. However, they can get at you. But there's there's ways around that. There's ways to to fight back. But um, there's a uh, a good a good story that I would, I want to tell too before we, before I'm done here. It's, um, it is a, a Christian experience that I had here lately. Um, I've had tons of spiritual battles in my house, um, due to things going on here that I was not aware of, but I figured out later, um, but there was times where I had to do basically like a cleansing of, of my own house yeah. um, where you pray, you know, you pray in the name of Jesus that things have to leave. There's certain prayers, certain scriptures that you use, certain methods. And things got so tense here before, man, I have felt staying, things like brush past my chest, like moving. I felt things, you know, we can feel something standing behind you. Yeah. Um, I woke up to the sound of my cabinet slamming in the kitchen. Uh, crazy things, man, but those things you can pray away. Um, 
I, I'll go into all that. I'll, I'll save it for this. You know, I'll spare this episode of it. <laughs> but uh, <laughs> if you want to know, it's on my show. They got some past episodes. Tell, tell, what gonna, tell them what episode that is. Oh, it's I have uh, some Sunday musings episodes on spiritual warfare, Psalm ninety-one, uh, that, and so on and so forth. There's there's a lot on there. Plenty to check out. But I did want to share a revival story um, because it was just so profound. It it helped answer some things for me, helped solidify some things for me, man. Um, this was just a couple months ago. We're at a revival, and I started having what I thought was an anxiety attack, okay? Um, I was pretty familiar with what this felt like <laughs> at that point, you know? <laughs> Uh, I, I'm sitting there in the service. wasn't my church. It was a, a church we went just to support. We got there a little bit late, so we're sitting in the back. I'm sitting on the aisle of the, the last pew. Just sitting there, hanging out, listening to the preacher. When I started getting, like, smothered out, uh, we, that's what we call it down here anyway, started getting, like, panicky, started getting a little anxious. Um, I couldn't really look up at the preacher uh, or off to the left. I just, I don't know. It was just every time I'd look that direction, I felt like I was falling backward. You know, like I was getting washed over and I was getting uncomfortable. So I'm squirming, you know, hey, uncomfortable. I said, yeah. sorry. <laughs> so I started squirming around a little bit and my wife's like, what's the matter with you? You know, she's sitting beside me, everybody's shouting and screaming, you know, this is like a, it's kind of non-denominational leans, a little Pentecostal kind of thing going on. Yeah. Um, she's like, what's the matter? And I was like, I think I'm having, uh, an anxiety attack. I just need, I said, hold my hand, help me get grounded, you know, to help me just to chill out for a second. Sure. Cause I, I feel like a goofball. And she said, you need to go outside. I said, no, I don't need to go outside. I'm good. So I'm looking and I spot this guy on the other side of the aisle and He's about as covered in tattoos as I am. You know, he's got this black hair, this black shaggy beard, you know, like, again, like I have, you know, this looks a little disheveled, but he's sitting there. And for whatever reason, man, he's off to that left-hand side, but I'm looking at him. And I don't know why I'm just fixated on him, but I'm watching him. And he's like in the middle of his pew and he's leaning forward. And... I look over at my wife and I say, it's, it's that guy over there. And she couldn't even see who I was talking about at first. Cause he was kind of hiding, you know, beside the people beside him. And, uh, I said, it's that, that guy. And I pointed her at, pointed him out to her. I said, there's something, something going on with him. He's, there's something attached to him. And she knows I'm all about spiritual war- warfare. She knows I'm all about deliverance, you know? And she's mm-hmm. like, she said, don't do it, Bo. I said, don't do what? She said, don't sit here and try to cast out demons in the middle of a church service. I said, look. <laughs> I got to do what I got to do. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, look, I'm not casting out. I'm not making a scene, okay? <clears throat> but I sat here, and I start using the name of Jesus. Uh, I start praying for this guy. I'm praying out loud, but nobody can hear me because, I mean, this place is popping. You know, the th- the things are jumping off here. Yeah. Um, so I started praying, telling, you know, 
in the name of Jesus, anything unclean is not allowed to be in that church as a house of God. Um, to leave that man alone, whatever it is, it has to remove itself. He's here for the Lord, obviously. And I watch him, and, and he puts his hands over his head. You know, he's like leaning forward at this point, after about 30 seconds of this. And I keep praying. And about a minute later, he jumps up, and he walks out of that pew, and he starts heading towards the altar. And when he jumped up, I jumped up. <laughs> when, he, when he went to the altar, man, that feeling, that anxiety attack finally broke off of me. Really? Um, all those feelings, I, I'm getting chills remembering it. All that stuff, just, it broke off of me. It went away. He goes up there. He hits that altar. And I just start crying like a baby, man. I don't know this guy from Adam. Yeah. But Just overcome with emotion. Absolutely. Overcome with joy. Um, I felt like that was my confirmation of this, of the spiritual battle. Obviously something was trying to keep him in that seat. And to, to watch him overcome that and to think that I got to witness that mm -hmm. and, and maybe, you know, Took being a part, part of it. it. Yeah. Yeah, to, to be able to pray for him and to to help him fight that battle and watch him give his life to the Lord. And this this revival that we were at wound up going on, I think, for 24 days. It was 20, yeah, 24 or 26 days wow. that it went on. And uh, that was on, a, I think, a, a Wednesday night, maybe, that I saw him. He went up there and gave his life to the Lord that weekend. He got, uh, he got baptized. And then the next time I went to that revival, he was standing in front of the church singing. Like he went all in, man, like full tilt. Uh, I got to talk to him. Uh, he was a wonderful guy. I, I never did tell him what, I, what I all. Wondered, I wondered if you were going to tell him. No, I never told him how, well, you know, what I had experienced you know, while he was going through whatever he was going through. But uh, it was just so powerful. You know, there was no coincidence that would allow that kind of, it was just the, the power of God. Yeah. And that's, yeah, I, I know I'm open about it. I know I talk about it. Um, but it's just some things you just have to share, man. <laughs> you know? Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. Uh, that's one of those things. Uh, when you get to witness God work, when you get to witness spiritual warfare in front of you, when you're you're battling in it, um, it gets it gets personal. It gets real real quick. But that's some of my stuff. Um, I didn't go over the talking cat, but uh, you know, they, we can always what? Yeah, man. When I was, <laughs> you can't drop that and not explain. Well, all right. When I was in that stone house, when I was a kid, we had adopted these, you know, these cats that we saw and we found in the park, in the state park. I had this cat named Tiger. All right. He was a big, fat, tabby cat, gray and black. I don't know why we called him Tiger, but he had a white tip on his tail. And uh, this cat would sit 
on this old buffet um, in front of the window. I got, I, I still have that piece of furniture. Um, but he would sit there on this buffet on this in front of the windowsill and look out. And he would sound like he would say, oh, no. And it would be like, as you imagine, a cat talking, okay? It was kind of like in a cat accent, if that makes any sense, you know? It's it's absolutely humiliating to do the impression, but it was like, oh, no. (laughs) You know, over it and over again, man. Uh, He would do that out the window. Oh, no, oh, no. And we'd be like, Tiger, get down. And he would get down, you know, no big deal. But this was a pretty common thing. Um, again, my mom had an experience with this cat where I went to my dad's house for the weekend. And instead of saying, oh, no, and he didn't have like a weird, you know, there was no like no throat injuries. There's yeah. no reason for this cat to sound odd. He meowed, he purred, he hissed like a normal cat. But that was just a weird thing he would do at that window. Well, my mom swore up and down that he was walking around the house while I was gone that one weekend. And instead of saying, oh, no, she said he would say, where's Bo? No. Very similar. So I thought, mom's tripping. But she she talked to the cat, and (laughs) she told it. She said, Tiger... Bo's at his dad's house, and she swears that that cat said, not again. Like, I can't believe this is happening again. Why is he gone again? So, not again is what she thought that cat said. She told me that. I thought, okay, she's home alone. Can I ask you? Can I ask you? I mean, was was that kind of a frowned upon thing for you to go to your dad's? Not at all. Oh, okay. All right. Um, I guess the cat missed me. Yeah. Or something. I don't know. It's kind of weird. Um, but this is like a extremely lazy cat. <laughs> uh, he, he, it's not like me and him played or anything like that, you yeah. know? Um, but time moves on. I'm about, uh, about 11 years old. Um, I'm outside. Tiger's outside on the wall. You know, I got this stone wall, like a retaining wall beside the house. Um, He's out there hanging out. And I'm coming back in from playing. So I grab Tiger and I'm bringing him in the house. When we get through the threshold of the house. Now, keep in mind, this house is, you know, it's had several deaths in it. I don't know if somebody's channeling themselves through this cat. I have no idea to this day why this cat acted the way it did, man. But yeah, I, I brought it in the house, and I promise you, this cat said, "Put me down." Just that matter of factly, but in that cat tone, that it just said, "Put, put me, down. me down." Yes. Good so Lord. I, I dropped the cat. <laughs> it ran one way. I ran another. And I was like, man, Tiger's kind of weird. Um, yeah, that was it. Then it's, you know, time moves on. My mom, she uh, she met my stepfather. So they get married. We all move into this little trailer, right? It's time to move out of this, this old house. We're all packed up. Cars loaded. 
I'll go to grab Tiger to, to, to take him with us. Tiger flips out. Uh, he's already outside, but I'm talking claws are out, teeth are out. He does not want to leave. So I'm like, I'm fighting with him, pulling on him. I even, like, at one point, he's trying to run away. I grab a hold of his leg. This cat does like a flip. This is the laziest cat I've ever met in my life, man. All of a sudden, I didn't super him. athletic. <laughs> yeah. I didn't want to hurt him, so of course I let go so I don't hurt his leg or anything like that. But this cat runs back up against the house and just stares. He won't leave. And so it's like 1992. I was a kid. That's my excuse. We left the cat, man. We left the cat. (laughs) We jump in the car. She's like, hey, if you don't want to come with us, sorry for his luck. Wow. And we left the cat there for years. People saw that cat, you know, cause we, it, we're in a very small community, very small area. And we only moved like 10 minutes down the road. My grandmother still lived beside there for, for a couple of years, for years, that cat never left that area. He wouldn't leave the yard. He stayed on that property. So I don't know. I just feel like maybe there was something spiritually, um, not necessarily a good thing, but something keeping that cat bound to yeah. that that area, you know, something that was attached to the house. I was fully I, expecting you to say, like, after you guys yeah. moved, people would hear that cat going around saying, "Where is Bo? Where is Bo?" <laughs> after you moved, <laughs> no, after we moved, the uh, that retaining wall collapsed up against the house, and uh, the, nobody lived there again. Uh, it, it stayed there in shambles for years. Homeless people started squatting there. Um, it's a real sad story for that home uh, for for years and years, but it was just recently bought and renovated. So, uh, yeah, I know that no one has ever lived like full time lived in that house since then. Oh, really? Yeah, yeah. But yeah, that's my talking cat story. So that's awesome. <laughs> yeah, uh, yeah. When when I did make it on Tony's show, that's what I led with. Is it? <laughs> he was like, okay. <laughs> probably why I got, I got canned. Oh man. Uh, let, let me ask you, um, you know, I've had tons of conversations with a bunch of different people. Yeah. <clears throat> I have a, a, a good friend of mine who is very, very Christian. And there is only good and evil there is only of of the light and there is only of the dark Mm -hmm. my personal belief is that while those two most definitely do exist and are are the two uh most powerful polarizing opposites um you know, in, in that person's opinion, aliens are demons. Mm-hmm. Um, Bigfoot are Nephilim. Um, you know, every everything else is demonic. Mm-hmm. Um, I I tend to be where where you have most definitely the light 
and most definitely the dark. I believe there there are a number of things in between, and and they're not necessarily uh, subscribed to one camp or the other. Uh, that they they tend to be kind of in flux. Sometimes they seem to, um, you know, move more towards being on, on the better side of things and, and other things tend to seem to be, but not fully on the other end of things. Um, I just, I think, you know, like extraterrestrials, I think are extraterrestrials. Um, that's not to say that God didn't create them as well. Um, right. you know, um, if the belief is that God has created everything, then they're part of that. Um, but who's to say God didn't create life on, on multiple other worlds, you know, or in other dimensions. And, you know, you start getting into all that. How do, where do you fall? Um, do you, do you think things are, there's stuff that's in that middle realm that kind of tend to go one way or another, depending on, you know, which team is, which team looks like it's pulling ahead. So we're going to jump over <laughs> here and ride these quote tales or. Um, well, I'll tell you, uh, I'll, I'll go roundabout with this. I, I know it's getting late. I got to get up in the morning early, but um, I, I, I can't just answer it simply. Uh, when I started this show, I believed that aliens, uh, oh, hold on for this one. I believe that aliens were us from the future. Okay. Um, it was basically our descendants trying to right our wrongs. That's why they were hanging around nuke bases that they were, they were watching out for us that we were contacting, you know, being contacted by our descendants. Sure. You know, not, not an uncommon theory. Well, yeah, not now. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it was. You know how many years I looked. I got looked at like I was an, uh, a madman because I was, I was saying, Thank God the movie Interstellar came out, right? And I was yeah. like, ah, yeah, that, that's, see, that's, that's what I'm, I'm telling you. Yeah, um, yeah, and I I thought that going into this, but that theory for me has changed. Um, I thought Bigfoot was Gigantopithecus blackie, you know, big undiscovered primate in the Pacific Northwest. No big deal. That's what I thought. Um, let's see. Ghosts. I'm still on the fence about ghosts, man. Um, cause some things you can't explain like the experience you had. Yeah. There's no way I could write that off as anything other than a personal, you know what I mean? I, that's, yeah. There was nothing nefarious about that. Right. Yeah. There's no way. And I, and I even tried to, I tried to write a nefarious storyline to it, you know, tried to look at it from the perspective of a, a demon or a, or a creepy crawly that was, that, that was trying to imitate my dad to, for, for what purpose, you know, what, what would they gain by that? And right. I, I was never able to come up with anything that was uh, nefarious other than it was just an interaction with the, the spirit of my dad. Right. And the only, <clears throat> the only thing nefarious that I could, if I'm grasping straws, okay, I would see that maybe it was something trying to evoke um, a sadness 
or a longing, you know, something, yeah, something that would bring you down that way it could feed off that negativity. Yeah, I can see that. Yeah, that's a um, good point. But that would be a, a, about as far as I could take that. Um, uh, and I, I don't think that's what was happening, though. I don't. Um, but, you know, I kind of look at it now, the whole spiritual world, the whole alien world, the whole cryptid world. I kind of look at it like uh, I've heard law explained. Um, and this is just now coming to me, but it makes sense. So, so just bear with me. Uh, yes, there's ultimate good and yes, there's ultimate evil. But um, there's a very, a very popular senator. He brought up a point about making laws. He said, um, yes, wearing a seatbelt is a good idea. But should you make it a law? If you would push that, not wearing a seatbelt, if you make it a law, that means it's ultimately punishable by death. Um, you get pulled over for not wearing your seatbelt. You argue your case. Now that's obstruction. You argue that there's a, that's obstruction. You're resisting arrest. You resist arrest, and they can shoot you. <laughs> you know yeah. what I'm saying? Yeah. So, therefore, not wearing your seatbelt is punishable by death. If you push it, where does it land? Lawful or unlawful? Good or evil? Is there a good purpose for this or not? So, if I would take... Um, ultimate good or ultimate bad there's ultimately it's hard to be neutral it might seem like it's you know not that bad but if you press it is it going to press towards the light I got you, or does yeah. it press towards the darkness um, if it's willing to go one way or the other then it's of the darkness <laughs> you know what I mean if it, if it could be bought or sold it's for the dark um as far as aliens go, um, this isn't going to be very popular, probably. Um, but yeah, I think that there is something very sinister about aliens at this point. Um, the information that's coming out about how to communicate, um, the CE5 program that Dr. Stephen Greer mm -hmm. has been heading up about how you can basically focus your intention manifest them pretty much yeah manifest them or summon them mm -hmm. you know what else do you summon um and they say that the way to control these craft or whatever they say it's a lot like esp um, it, again it's all come back to intention um why do alien abductions stop when somebody uses the name of jesus I've had that story. I don't know how many times. Yeah. Um, they command them to leave in the name of Christ and they go. Um, why? What, what would make that happen? Yeah. Um, so yeah, I, I kind of land those at this point. Uh, and it's taken me probably two of the three years of hearing these kind of stories over and over and over again. To say, yeah, it's probably demonic, man. Yeah. Um, that's probably what we're dealing with. 
Bigfoot being a Nephilim, I don't know. I, I know that there's a lot more to it than a flesh and blood creature. There has to be. Uh, unless they have some innate abilities that we lost over the years. That's um, that's where I'm at. Yeah, there's a lot of argument for that about how, you know, our pineal gland is uh, calcified and sure. we'd have the ability to communicate telepathically had we just not ruined our diets and um, that maybe even the, their hairs can raise like that of a porcupine and they can shake them at, at such a rate that it kind of creates a blurriness to where they're not picked up very well on on camera. They can see infrared. Who knows? I mean, how can an octopus do what it does? Yeah. And um, I'm, I'm kind of, you know, with the whole infrasound that, you know, that is accompanies a lot of stories. Yeah. Um, I, I think that <clears throat> this is my personal thoughts. Um, if they have the command over their vocal capabilities to produce infrasound and then also be able to produce these high pitched um, howls and wails that are um, recorded. What if they have a, <clears throat> what if they have a mastery of creating frequency with their voices? What if, what if they can change frequencies that alter the way we perceive them? Right. Oh, that's you know, a good idea. That's, that's something that's, I've, I've been thinking about for the past couple of years and, you know, one story in particular that I have heard that I've, I'm trying like hell to get this person on my show. Um, they just, <clears throat> they just are afraid to do it. Um, basically this person turned around and, uh, when they were exiting the area, when they knew they were around this thing, um, gathered their child who was hunting a stand not too far away and they were motivating the hell out of that that area uh, when they looked back at this hunting property <clears throat> when they were leaving the specific area this is a piece of property they'd hunted for a, a long time they were very very familiar with this property um, when they looked back the the sky was still blue the trees were still brown leaves but it did not look like it should. Right. And, you know, if they have the ability to produce infrasound and they, you know, there's even been um, some significant talk about the, the possibilities that these things have multiple sets of vocal cords in order to produce the types of sounds that they do. What if the, what if the, one of the remnant, uh, traits of, of this organism, this being, is that it can produce a frequency that affects our visual acuity. You know, what if, just like infrasound, you know, when they use it as a, 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 a directed weapon, like in the uh, Havana syndrome, um, you know, people report headaches, blurred vision, right. um, you know, they're all getting the same kind of uh, uh, effects from it. Um, what if what if they're capable of producing that, and that changes how we see them? You know, maybe just with a simple frequency, uh, they can appear to disappear, 
or, right. or, you know, you know, people say they see one and it takes two steps and it's gone, you know, maybe it's not gone. Maybe they're just affecting your a visual ability to see them. Uh, right. So I, I don't know. It, it's, it's strange. It's such a could be, you know, um, little vibration to the rods and cones is all it would take. Yeah, right. It, yeah. would, it would jack your eyes all up. Um, those are all great theories. I've, I've talked to a couple of guys. Um, I don't know if you're familiar with the Instagram account Squatch me now. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I, me and Trey have talked about this kind of stuff several times, man. Uh, he's got some great theories and he'd be a good one for you to talk to too. Yeah. I think I pissed him off one time. Uh, he, he was doing, and it wasn't intentional. He was doing a, a Instagram live and, yeah. and he had just posted this drone footage of, uh, of a Bigfoot walking through the woods and in the drone footage, there was uh, actual sound with it and you could hear the, you could hear the Bigfoot taking steps and there was a guy voicing over it. Like he was talking while he was filming it. And I was like, I'm a drone operator and you can put the best cameras you want on a drone, but there are no microphones on them unless you get into military grade stuff that is like hyper silent because right. the, the, the wash from the, the rotor blades will kill any sound, you know, beyond a couple of feet of the, the drone itself while it's in operation, you're not going to hear something that's, you know, a hundred feet below you. So, I was just simply giving my opinion on that video that it was obviously hoaxed because of all the extra, you know, sounds and stuff. And, uh, you know, I was, I was making the comments in the comment section and, uh, man, he, he was like, he didn't want anything to do with me. <laughs> I'm like, <laughs> like, sorry, dude. <laughs> you know, I didn't, I didn't mean to, annoy him or, or take him off. But, uh, <laughs> yeah, that was my only interaction with him. I don't know. <laughs> well, <laughs> you'll have that sometimes, you know, we, <laughs> but, you know, as, as content creators, I mean, he's putting out stuff and I'm sure he wasn't, um, just putting it out there saying, Hey, look at this. You should believe it. Uh, right. but it was probably a topic for discussion. And I was one of the first people in, and like all of a sudden debunking it. So <laughs> maybe, yeah. maybe I stole this, uh, stole his wind a little bit. I didn't mean to, but yeah, yeah uh, probably just canceled that conversation a little too fast. There. Yeah. <laughs> oh man. Well, listen, we're, uh, we're at two and a half hours on the record. And, uh, I think we talked for about a half hour before we started doing that. So, um, we should probably wrap this up because we both have to get to work early in the morning. Yes, uh, sir. Man, Bo, I tell you what, uh, it's been long overdue, and what a joy talking to you. I've had a had a blast. Thanks for doing this. Uh, can't wait to get this out to our our listeners. I think both both ends uh, ought to ought to enjoy it. Yeah, I, I think so, man. The pleasure is all mine. I, again, thank you for the invitation. Uh, I would love to do this again. Oh, yeah, uh, absolutely. I, I, I got tons more stories in the tank and I'm, I'm sure you do too. And yeah. we can just speculate on, on our own theories and talk about how smart we are. Yeah. <laughs> that's, <laughs> that's the most fun you can have, isn't it? <laughs> <laughs> no, seriously though, man, thank you. Uh, thanks so much, especially, you know, I mean, reaching out to you and then you responding as quickly as you did, um, Absolutely. you know, and, 
I enjoy your show. I like what you're doing. Um, and, you know, I just, I like surrounding, surrounding myself with, with good people. And, you know, it's pretty apparent you're good people. You, you, you're doing things, you're doing things for the right reason. And, uh, uh, you know, we talked about, we talked about another endeavor before we started recording. Yeah, and, man. uh, I, I really hope we can put that together because yeah, I think too. that would be, uh, I think that would be just, a a firehouse for, uh, for listeners. So, yeah, I absolutely look forward to that and just keep me in the loop. Anything absolutely. I can do to help out. Anything I can do to help out, let me know, man. You were uh, you were the last key to that uh, last piece of that puzzle. So now that I've gotten commitments from uh, a number of of different shows, I think uh, I think we'll start moving forward with sweet what we talked about. So. Good deal. Good deal. All right, sir. Well, for uncomfortable, this is uh, this has been a this is a great discussion with. Bo Kennedy of the Bump Podcast. Hey, thank you. And for the Bump Podcast with, I don't want to mess your last name up, Eric Salaji. You got it. That's right. (laughs) For the Uncomfortable Podcast. Brother, you are the best, man. I appreciate you so much. You too, sir. Been a ball. Can't wait to talk to you again. Hey, you too. All right. Good night. Good night. Well, that's it for tonight's show. I hope you enjoyed hearing from Bo Kennedy of the Bump Podcast. This guy's got some great stuff out there, people. Head over, check out his show, give him some love, because he is doing great work, and I love the perspective that he comes at it with. Again, make sure to follow us on Facebook and Instagram, both at Uncomfortable Podcast 65 Go check out the Uncomfortable Patreon. Make sure you've signed up for the uncomfortable discord and if you have a story or experience that you would like to have aired on the show please get a hold of me at contact.uncomfortable at gmail.com make sure to share the show any way you can that's what grows a podcast like this share it with your friends family co-workers that's the main thing that you can do to help get us out in front of more people more people listening means more people coming forward with their experiences and that translates to more content for you thanks for joining me i will see you next week and as always stay uncomfortable my friends